This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season will bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together like-minded organizations who are focused on making disciples. And our goal is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. Before we get into today's episode, let me tell you about a related resource, a free download called the Kingdom Unleashed Sampler. And here's how it relates to the podcast. You're about to listen to an episode connected to something called orality, which is a method for reaching people through story with the gospel that enlivens and deepens reproducing discipleship. Okay, that's a mouthful. No pun intended. But the Kingdom Unleashed Sampler gives you some background into how to share the gospel today. So download this free ebook at discipleship.org slash ebooks. Today we're featuring an episode from Brentwood Baptist Church that was recorded at the National Disciple Making Forum. The episode is called More Than a Bible Study, featuring Stephen Stringer and Mark Overstreet. So we're going to get started here, and people can filter in if they want. You can filter out if you want. Um, my name is Stephen Stringer, and I live in London, England, uh, and I work with the International Mission Board, where we help people um, use Bible stories to uh, share the gospel, disciple believers, and plant reproducing, multiplying churches. And so... Uh, and my and my co-presenter today is going to tell you what he does. Are you married? I'm married to one wife, and we have uh, three children: um, an 11 year old boy, a 19 year old boy, and a 22 year old daughter. And what ages are they? I just answered that question. So. Are you, well, just tell us about yourself, Mark. I'm Mark, and uh, I thought I could get him to share his ages again. Uh, I am married also to one wife, but a different one. And uh, my wife and I have three children, uh, sons. Uh, my oldest, Joel, is 22. My second is Josiah. He's 19. And my third is uh, Judson. He is almost 17, and uh, we do work for a different organization, and we do similar things. Uh, we work with unreached and unengaged people groups through local indigenous leaders, showing those indigenous leaders in many of those places there's no word of God translated in their mother tongue, and we work to help craft strategies where they can train leaders who can make disciples plant churches, and reach people by sharing in their own language uh, the Word of God and the stories of Jesus. Okay. So in our first session, we've been, this is our third session this afternoon, and um, hopefully it doesn't show too much, but in our first session we were talking about stories and walking alongside people who have experienced trauma, Bible stories, walking alongside people who have experienced trauma. Uh, the second session, we were talking about using Bible stories in spiritual conversations that touch people where they really feel in their heart. Um, 
This session is a bit different. Uh, we will be telling Bible stories, but um, this is not a, we can't, the, the title, sorry, Damien would like me to tell his title. Uh, the title is More Than a Bible st- Study, right? And I would say also more than a Bible story, right? Some of my colleagues who uh, really love uh, telling Bible stories think if I just tell a Bible story, we're going to get to uh, reproducing healthy churches, reproducing healthy discipleship, and that's not the case, right? Uh, Just like if we were to stand up and I were to read a, a chapter of Scripture to you, Uh, We would, I hope, get something out of it. We would be edified. Um, But that's not enough, right? We have to have a purpose behind what we're doing. We have a structure of what we're doing. And uh, today's session, we're going to talk about uh, what are the things that we can put into place that help us uh, not only experience power of the, the story of God's Word, but help us move beyond a simple Bible study where we're gathering together and, and we're studying, um, but a, a, a structure, a way of, of studying God's Word together that results in transformative discipleship, right? That is reproducing, right? I would say discipleship that doesn't reproduce isn't fully transformative discipleship. So... Uh, and there are ways of, we're not saying this is the, the silver bullet, this is not the only way to do it, but this is one way that's very helpful that we find. So we're going to, the way we're going to do this is uh, we are going to short circuit uh, a session that we would normally do, and some of it I'm going to just describe to you what we would normally do, because it would take too long to do everything together. Um, but we're going to go through it, and we're going we're gonna to use the Bible story to do that because I dig Bible stories. Um, and then we'll debrief that. We'll talk about the structure of what we did. And, and we're, we're particularly thinking through um, what we in the International Mission Board call a three-thirds process. So um, in this three-thirds, we sort of think about uh, our structure of any meeting that we have in terms of thirds. What, are the, the, if, what is a, a way of structuring our meeting that we, we get to uh, really transformative uh, uh, life together um, that then results in multiplication? So we'll talk about that, and then Mark will come and you know, talk to us about what are the other, what are the other aspects of, there's a term we call orality, but really it's a matter of, of uh, just human nature. Of, uh, you know, we, many of us here, if you are involved in discipleship, you probably read a lot and you live in the world of text. But to be honest with you, most of the people we work with do not live in a world of text. They live in this thing called the real world, right? And, um, and so Mark is going to talk to us a little bit about that. So, but before we do it, let me pray for us and let's get started. Yeah. Father, we love you. We 
are so grateful that we're allowed to talk to you and we're allowed to tell you we love you through your son Jesus and we're grateful we're allowed to know you we can know you better through your word and through being with one another Lord we pray that we would be good for one another and that we would lift you up in all things that we would honor you that we would praise you that you would be pleased with us today we pray in Jesus name Amen. Amen So, this part of what we're going to do is a bit of a laboratory because we're not a real group that's meeting regularly. But the first third of what we, um, how we structure our uh, time together, we we say um, we we look back, right? Um, You can call it whatever you want to call it. Right. You can call it the first third if you want to call it. Uh, the idea is that we would gather together. We'd be people who gather together regularly, right? Whether it be a discipleship group, whether it be a Bible study, uh, whether it be a small home church, right? And uh, the first thing we would do is pray together and then listen. If you were in some of our other sessions, you would have heard me talk about how important listening is and how it's the most overlooked part of evangelism and discipleship Uh, and it's the most overlooked part of our Bible studies we don't listen to one another right so spending time to listen to one another asking each other right so uh, you know one last week we studied in God's Word that it probably was not good for you to be stealing from the church. And you decided that you were not going to do that this week. How'd that go? Right? Yeah, it was freeing. <laughs> it was. It was freeing. Good. And the church appreciates that. Yeah, right? yeah, You're still employed, right? That's good. As far as you know. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, how's it going? And then if one was to say, you know what, it's really hard. It's really hard. Wow, someone's really getting excited. Mm-hmm. You're next door. Do, you're going to have to do better. I'm going to have to do Man, I, I didn't realize it was a competition, but let's keep going. Um, you know, he might have said it's really hard. And I don't know if I'm going to make it next week. And that's the time when we can pray for him. Mm. We can care for him. We might even say, you know what, Juan, this week, when they're counting the money, would you like me to come by and just be with you? Right? This is the difference between um, discipleship that is come and we're going to study a passage together and a real-life-on-life time of discipleship. It's a shifting. And I, I know you're the choir, and you're the, 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 probably the people who've been preaching this uh, a lot, but discipleship is not a class that you teach on a Sunday evening, right? It's people, real life, and, it's, and it takes an investment. And so that's what we would do. We would spend time with each other. And a part of this care 
is accountability. That's a, that's a word that um, I tell stories. I don't spell very well. But, um, uh, that's a word that people really don't like a lot because I think it's a checklist, right? Did you do your homework? No. You know, we're going to slap you on the wrist. That's not what this is. This is care first, right? It's accountability. One, how's it going? But not one, how's it going? Because I want to make sure you've done what you said you're going to do. It's one, how's it going so I can support you? Or how I can praise God together with you. We're really caring for one another, right? It's pastoral care. And we would also then spend time in some form of worship together, right? Whether that be um, someone reading scripture out loud, whether that be singing together, whether that be some other form of worship together. It doesn't have to uh, be a, you know, it doesn't have to be a Brentwood thing. Sorry, Brentwood. Uh, I are one, so I can talk about Brentwood. So, you know, where we have, you know, singing and things like that. It's just a time where we are together in God's presence, right? Mm -hmm. So, we would do those things, and then we would tell a Bible story. I'm going to tell a Bible story um, very quickly, and then we're probably going to have to, uh, I'm probably going to have to describe to you some of the things that we would do instead of uh, do them. So I apologize. And I, um, I'm going to tell you a story. You, my challenge is often, especially with an audience like you, is uh, you've heard a lot of Bible stories, haven't you? Um, so I, I always like to try to find one that maybe, of course you know all the Bible stories. I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect that I'd find one you don't know, but maybe one that you haven't heard as often as others. So I'm going to try to tell this one. We're going to talk about it. It's actually my favorite discipleship story. Is it the lost story of Shamgar? Yes, absolutely. I have no idea what you're talking about, Mark. Can you just be quiet because we're recording this? Um, <laughs> Read your we, We've been friends for a very long time. So actually, it's interesting. It's one that um, in the past I've, I've supervised a lot of young missionaries who, uh, who, who've come out on the field for two-year terms, and, and we would do this story at the beginning of their term, in the middle of their term, and at the end of their term. And it's fascinating to see how differently through their discipleship process how they view this particular story. Uh, but I won't have time to explain all that to you. So let's go. So this story actually <clears throat> is from God's Word, and it happens after, uh, after David dies, after... Solomon dies. Uh, we know the story, right? Uh, the, his, the kingdom is split, right? There's uh, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, right? And Jeroboam, Jeroboam took the northern part of this kingdom and he didn't want people to go back down to David's city, Jerusalem, right? He didn't want to go back down. That was in the south. He didn't want them to go back down to uh, Jerusalem to, to worship. And so what he did was is he, um, he set up uh, some altars. He, he had these golden calves uh, made, and he, 
and he put one at the far north of his kingdom, and he put one at the far southern point of his kingdom, and he told people, you don't have to go and worship God in Jerusalem. You can go to these high places and worship there. And people did. And God was not happy with Jeroboam. Jeroboam also defied God's laws and he set up his own priests. And he himself made act sacrifices on these altars. And so, God sent a prophet We don't know his name. All we know him by is the man of God. May it be so in my life. All we know him as is the man of God. So he tells the man of God, I want you to go and I I want you to speak judgment against this altar and then I want you to return. I don't want you to come back the same way you went. You're not to eat anything. You're not to drink anything while you're there. And so the man of God goes, and Jeroboam is actually at one of these high places, the one in the south, and he's about to make a sacrifice on this altar. And uh, the man of God comes up, and as Jeroboam is about to make the sacrifice, this man of God pronounces God's judgment against the altar, says it will be split, that this is what's going to happen, and the proof is it's going to be split open. And when he, does, when he says that, the altar is split open, the ashes of the sacrifices pour out, and Jeroboam is incensed. And he says, arrest that man. And as he does, his arm shrivels up, and he can't even pull it back in. And he falls down in front of the man of God. And he says, I'm I'm sorry. And he begs the man of God, pray for me to God that he would heal my arm. And the man of God prays. And his arm is healed. And Jeroboam is so excited. He says, I want you to come to my to, to, to my palace and, and we can come there and you can eat there you can rest there and the man of God said you could give me half of your kingdom and I wouldn't go eat in your palace God said for me to come and, and pronounce judgment I shouldn't eat anything I shouldn't drink anything and I shouldn't go back the same way that I came and he left the presence of the king and he was on his donkey going and uh, there was a there was a an old prophet who lived in that area uh, he hadn't heard from God in a long time but he had heard about this man of God and he wanted the man of God to come to his house and so uh, he went and he looked for the man of God and uh, the man of God had stopped on the road uh, to rest and and, and this old prophet came and, and he said, come to my house and eat and drink and take rest. And, and the man of God said, oh, I'm sorry, I can't. God told me to come, pronounce judgment, and not to eat anything or drink anything and not to go back the same way I came. And 
this old prophet lied to the man of God. And he said, but an angel told me that you should come to my house and rest. And so the man of God went with this old prophet. And he went into his home, and he was there. They prepared a meal, and as he was eating, God spoke one more time through this old prophet. And he spoke to the man of God, and he said, I told you to go and pronounce judgment, not to eat anything, not to drink anything, and not to go back the same way you came. You, because you disobeyed me, you are going to die and you will not be buried with your ancestors. And immediately the man of God got up, he got out of there, he got on his donkey, and he was heading back home. And as he did, a lion came, attacked him, and killed him. What was strange was the lion killed him, but the lion didn't maul his body. The lion didn't eat him. And as people went by, they saw dead guy. They saw donkey. And they saw a lion. And that's not a normal thing. And so they began talking. And, and, and when this old prophet hears about it, he knows that's, that's the man of God. And he goes and he gets the... Um, the body of this man of God, and he tells his, uh, his sons, we're going to bury him in my grave, and when I die, I want you to bury him next to me. And all the prophecies that the man of God said against the altar came true. And Jeroboam can, went on, and he did more evil in the sight of the Lord than any other king before him. And he and he led the people further and further away from God. That's the story from God's word. So, <clears throat> just, just, just makes you feel all warm and fuzzy inside, doesn't it? Um, so I'm going to ask you just a couple questions, and we'll, normally what we would do now is we would walk back through the story, okay, a couple times. Uh, walking back through the story means that we would sort of reconstruct the story together. I would ask you what happened, and we would, you would begin, and we'd say what happened again, what happened again, what happened again. And then eventually, maybe we would even act it out. That's my favorite thing, um, to acting stories out. But really the idea is for everyone to really, really know the story. And I've heard it multiple times, experienced it in multiple ways, and then and so that we can all really, really have it in our heart. Right, And then what I do is I have seven questions that I ask of every story, every Bible passage, every time. Now why do I do that? It's not because I'm not that smart, even though that's true. Um, but, so we, I've been with the IMB, the International Mission Board, for 21 years now. And uh, we started off in West Africa, then we moved to Asia, now we're in London. At some point we'll be able to keep a job, but who knows. Um, And uh, in West Africa we started doing this story, and I had two pages of questions 
for every Bible story that we did. And the, the pastors that I was working with, they couldn't remember them all. And I'd get really frustrated. Then I realized I can't remember them all. We've got to change, right? If we want people to be able to share, and we want people to feel equipped, we want people to feel like they can disciple others, we need to, we need to have a process that they can do, right? Whether you're writing it down, this is not about not writing things down. This is about equipping people in a way that you know they can go and they can reproduce it. So seven questions I ask, and um, I'm just going to tell you the questions because I am really running out of time. I'm sorry, Mark. Um, The first question is very simple. What, what, What did you like? What was interesting to you in the story? Oh, some one person answer that. What was interesting to you in this story? The guidance. His guidance. Whose guidance? The uh, prophet. We don't know the name of the person. Yeah. So he had clear guidance, but he decided to change. So he had the word of the Lord, but he took this angel, trumping it. Yeah. We'll get to the next question. Because that's my answer to the next question. Uh, but he had clear guidance because he said it several times, right? He clearly knew what he was supposed to do. And he did do it in front of the king. Yeah. Okay. So the second question is what did you not like or what bothered you? And it really bothers me that this man of God who can stand before a king. And he can resist that temptation. But when someone says, oh, an angel said, you've heard from God, but an angel said. So I don't like that. What do you not like? Um, Then the next question is, um, so what did you learn about God in this story? What does this story teach about God, right? And what does this story teach about people? You may notice, because you are the bright group, you are advanced, you're in, you're in our session, so obviously you're very intelligent. You might notice so far that there's a pretty, pretty much a very basic hermeneutical um, process that we're going through here, right? The first two questions, you could call them observation questions, right? The next two questions might be, anybody interpretation questions. So there's nothing new here, right? This is not magic. There's nothing magical about the questions. What, you could ask whatever questions you want, just as long as you ask the same questions every time. All right? So what do you like about God? What don't you, or what did you like? What did you not like? What do we learn about God? What do we learn about people? Then the fifth question, there are lots of different ways of asking this question, and you, you really have to think about the people you're talking to as you craft this question, but one way I like to ask a question is, if this story is true, and it is, then how will you live your life differently because of it? Right? Anybody want to guess? Observation, interpretation? Application. Application. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not rocket surgery, right? Okay. How will you live your life differently? 
So these are the this is this is sort of the middle third, the what we call the, the time when we're looking up. We're we're really engaging with God's word here, right, through the story. You can do this with with a, a, a passage of scripture. It doesn't have to be a Bible story. Although Bible stories are really, really good. So and then we move towards looking forward, right? And when we look forward, I have I told you I have seven questions. The the next two questions really are meant for here. The first question is how will you remember the story? There are lots of right answers to this question. There's only one really, 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 really right answer to this question. Anybody want to guess? Yes. Exactly. Well, no, that's the seventh question. But you've got to tell the story to know it. And in the storytelling world, not just the Bible storytelling world, but in storytelling narratology, um, studies have been done that you really, really don't know a story until you've told five people who've never heard that story before. So think about that. Think about in your own life, think about the people that uh, you are responsible for. They don't know a story. They don't know a Bible story until they've told five people who've never heard it before. What does that say about how much of the Bible we know? Not how much we can recall, not how much we can look up, right? Not how much we can vaguely remember, but how much do we know? You've got to tell five people who've never heard it before. So how to remember to tell it. So who does God want you to tell it to? Right? So we have observation, we have interpretation, we have application. And here... We have vision casting, right? God's word is useful for our own life, but God's word is meant to be shared, right? So, who are we going to share it with? Next week, when we're caring together, I'm going to ask you, you said you were going to share it with your brother. What happened when you share it? Not if you shared it, because you said you were going to share it. What happened? We either praise God together for what happened, we pray for your brother, or if you didn't tell it, we find out why. Was it because uh, you were afraid? Well, let's pray for you. Was it because you didn't know the story well enough? Well, let's practice it. Was it because you were sick? (coughs) Right? You were in bed all week. Well, how can we help you? Do we need to bring some food over to your house? Again, that's, that's the caring part of accountability. So we're always vision casting. This is beyond ourselves. This is beyond us. And then we practice. Everybody gets a chance to tell the story. So we get in groups of two. Sometimes we get in groups of three. Everybody tells the story and everybody tells the questions that they're going to ask. Every time. Everybody tells the story. Because we want you to leave here able to share with share what God is doing in your heart. We want you to have God's word in your heart. 
we want you to be able to go and do that, right? Because we'll, we're gonna, if we're going to ask you, we want you to practice doing it. And then we pray for the people you're going to share with. So that's looking forward. I'm, I'm going to be finishing just a second. I'm sorry. Okay, so this, when we said this is more than a Bible study, let me show you what makes this more than a Bible study. This is why we have a structure. And again, there's nothing magical about this structure. There's nothing magical about the questions that we ask. It's just being intentional about holding people accountable with real life-on-life discipleship where we really care about one another. It's always casting vision. This is not just for us, right? We are always thinking about reproduction and multiplication. And that can only happen if we practice. Right? So when we're meeting together, we're not just about getting, 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 eating, 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 eating. We're actually learning how to how to put this into practice. Mm. These are the things that make this multiplying and reproducing. Once you take those out, you can have a really nice Bible story session, you can have a really nice Bible study, but you're not gonna have multiplying mm. effect. All right. Thank you, Stephen. All right, let's uh, take a minute, and uh, you have questions about this as he's just uh, shared it. do it very quickly. I apologize for that, but yeah, no, that only so gives an hour for these sessions. I like normally, I can't say hello in an hour. Normally, if he didn't talk at all, uh, which is nearly impossible, <laughs> you've learned, uh, and he only told the story, which when the session's in, it doesn't matter how great you are or how horrible you are uh, at telling a story. If you've worked and prepared, the, when the session begins, the ground's even. Everybody's the same. And when he starts a story session, he shares that story. There's no pomp. There's no circumstance. It's just caring. I, I've watched in his church, from the platform, as a pastor at his church, I've watched him uh, share the story with almost no commentary. Almost. And um, the only reason you had a, just a touch was because in a, in a corporate worship environment, as you may imagine in the Western world, uh, there are still people who need a little bit of, like, just give me some brackets. Give me a a moment to pause. Um, you, you have questions about this before we move to what what could be beyond just the story? Now's your time. We'll have time in a few more minutes, but I just wanted to give it while it was fresh. Sounds like it was perfectly clear, Mark. <laughs> yeah. Um, Is this pretty much the same as Discovery Bible study? It's very close. It really is very, very close. Questions are pretty much. Yeah, three-thirds is, is, is very similar. Those questions are not new to any of us. They were is it from Norway, from a, a guy in Norway many years ago, developed those those questions. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, as we start thinking about the framework, I, I just want to look at some of these words that he's uh, surrounded. And uh, as you think about this component together and this component together, what kind of applications do you think this could have in cultures around the world? How about let's just start with home, your church, if you go to church. This is a discipleship conference, so I'm presuming many of you are a part of a church. It could work in any application. Okay. Uh, give me one, for example. One you could think of that could work this week. I meet, I, I meet with uh, five men every week. Yeah. And so this idea of holding them accountable is something that we don't often do. So. Mm. We, everyone needs to be held uh, accountable in their mm. spiritual walk. Mm, that's good. So uh, a part of the three-thirds uh, approach is uh, the, the first component of that three-thirds. There's so much emphasis in contemporary uh, studies where the bulk of what's valued is the material and the material deliverer. And that is not this model. This model spends a full third, and if necessary, longer, on listening, Mm -hmm. learning, relating, and then developing in that community what it is going to look like for us to keep our promises with one another. And it does work. Uh, it, it works in small men's Bible studies. And if you do this well, uh, I, I can tell you of stories here and around the world. Uh, one very quickly of a friend who was in a session like this with me for years. And uh, work transferred him and he moved and he began doing this at a small restaurant with one or two guys And in a matter of months, there were hundreds who were just getting together. And you know why they were coming? Not because of him. Because the commitments he kept were tables. You had to be able to fit at a table. It was this. They had nowhere they could be honest and open with one another. And when they got together before daybreak to do this, it, it transformed their lives. Uh, all right. Uh, somebody else. Where could you use this? Well, we use it in life groups. We do the storytelling that way. Okay. Uh, the, the one that's you're walking the, the edge of the cliff is the accountability. Yeah. Because that quickly can turn to judgment. Mm, yeah. And, and so yeah. And we actually have some ways. Uh, you, you were a part of an earlier session today. And we actually have some strategies that you can implement immediately that show the gatherers simple ways of controlling. We live in a, this part of our world. Uh, we won't get into the details, but we're made to judge. Uh, we've done a really good job for thousands of years, and some of that we've earned honestly. Uh, we live in m- most of us in this part of the world uh, make decisions based upon laws. Uh, some of you, judging from the speed at which you traveled this morning, 
uh, ignore some of those laws, but uh, th this piece is very important, um, and we want to we want to model, uh, and we want to enforce that modeling. There's got to be a reinforcement component in that in that circle, and uh, there there's some simple ways to be able to take steps to make sure that happens. I like how you mentioned when talking about that initially. You talked about it, it accountability, and that can kind of have a, a negative connotation yeah. in culture, but support. Yeah, uh, because it's those are supportive questions, or you could look at it. it it's not being judgmental. It's mm -hmm. no, they they really care, and they're trying to mm -hmm. come alongside mm -hmm. with that. So yeah, that's support a, is a yeah, that's a good word. And fi finding a word where we can all agree together. This is what we're going to say. Uh, we mean by this part of our time, and as leaders get involved, and as that begins to multiply, this part gets much easier, much more comfortable, just like this part. When it's your first week to tell a story and it's the first time you've ever told one, just expect some excitement on the inside, like adrenaline and heart racing. Uh, and there are times uh, when uh, out of nowhere, um, you, you'll have the same experience when you've told it dozens of times. Um, someone else. Going well, back to, where else the, do you uh, see to, this? The, to that uh, first box, so with, with my, my five men, we signed a covenant together that we would hold each other accountable, but okay. we would do it in love. So that way we could build each other up, yeah. not judge each other, tear each other down. Yeah, so that's good. Are, can, can that's good. That. So that's like a Bible study, uh, a, a, a gathering for accountability and, and growth together. Life group leaders, yeah. I mean, or coaches, you know, just when you gather together, even. <clears throat> You could talk about a lot of things, but I mean, really, kind of structured around this, though. Yeah, it, yeah, that's it's modeling. Good. It's, yeah, it's, you mentioned discovery Bible studies. Uh, th there are a lot of similarities. Uh, the three thirds approach, uh, the centrality of the word, allowing the word to answer questions about the word. These these approaches enter uh, a, a dynamic similar to what they're looking for in discovery Bible. Uh, I would just say, as a distinction. When you tell the story, uh, people get to walk away not with a, a memory of like what what verses they studied together. When you do this, everybody leaves the room able to tell the story. Because if we had time, he would have rebuilt it blow by blow with us, and then he would have said, maybe you would have told it again, or maybe you know, split the room and acted it out. And uh, then we would have watched one another's dramas or, or retellings together. And then maybe somebody would take the bold step of volunteering to try to retell it as well as he had told it. And then uh, what, what happens is you kind of accidentally have told the story six or seven times and you pretty much have it. Mm. And, and then later that week, and if you're doing this every single week, just imagine what a year looks like. You accidentally have 50 stories from the Word. And in two years, you've got 100. And in three years, you've got 150. And in four, five, six years, you've got hundreds and hundreds of stories so that they're just naturally rolling <coughs> off of, out of your heart into the lives of people. Whether you've signed up for it or whether they happen to be just, you know, accidentally right next to you. And... Uh, 
I want to just, before we do some debriefing, I want to just tell you a little bit about some context where this model is being used. Uh, Earlier today, there was a session where we talked about uh, trauma and uh, we talked about women's trauma healing programs that are happening around the world using this structure, this strategy for uh, women, the largest single oppressed vulnerable uh, demographic on earth and uh, using principles of trauma, the expertise of trauma counseling with the application of this kind of story strategy, there's an arc toward seeing women delivered out of trauma and into a community of redemption where they have this for their lives, maybe some for the first time ever. Uh, And that's not just for women, uh, but also for men. Uh, I think the Burkina Faso story was last hour. Uh, He told the story about uh, some brothers who have found faith in Jesus in West Africa. And their favorite story comes from one of the stories in the Women's Trauma Healing Program, which is the the woman reaching out and touching the garment of Jesus. Uh, In other contexts, there are pastors who live among people that don't have the Bible translated. So there is no possibility of a discovery Bible study yet. But they can hear uh, national or state language, and they can learn the story in their own mother tongue and in their own hut, in their own home, in Africa, in Asia, and the Middle East, uh, I've seen, I've been a part by God's grace and seen uh, sisters and brothers gather together and multiply groups by hundreds and by thousands among people who don't have access to the gospel in their mother tongue. Uh, That's with pastors who will never have the ability to go to a Bible college. Maybe one out of a thousand or one in 5,000 might be able to go find a way to get, maybe has a brother who gets elected to office and, or does business in the big city and one out of a few thousand get, uh, you know, the, the full scholarship to a seminary here or somewhere else around the world. But the overwhelming majority of leaders of people who follow Jesus now on earth, millions of shepherds have two things in common. No formal training with books or things written and probably no hope for that in their mother tongue. And so we're seeing that happen in with strategies like this. You know enough about this strategy right now that you could imagine... Uh, that in a context anywhere on earth, people who can pick up on these kinds of patterns would be able to take this and multiply it and then have access. Uh, The average uh, trained pastor, uh, I recently heard, uh, it has the ability to regurgitate stories like Stephen did, uh, somewhere between 10 and 15 stories. Don't believe I regurgitated a story, sir. Yeah, sorry. I just, for speed's sake, I was just giving it, giving it back to you the way you gave it to me. Uh, 10 to 15. And in, in a few months, 
people who have no access to the Bible in their mother tongue would be able to do that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have done this with professors. I've done this with uh, respected leaders. And in humility, trying to retell a story, even from Sunday, if, if you're preaching every week, is really hard. And uh, just last hour we did this and a pastor shared that the, the whole time he was telling the story, he was concerned maybe he was leaving stuff out. Now, adding stuff to the story is not likely here, but leaving something out would be a big concern. Well, when, you're, when this is the model you're using, uh, it becomes more and more natural. And just like you remember your childhood phone number or your best friend's uh, address growing up, Uh, When you begin applying these things to God's instrument for life on life, love, and the word, you you can see this happening in pastoral context. They're also doing it in, this whole conference is built around a model of of acquiring and then reproducing this kind of learned leadership over and over. You... Receive what you have, you receive something new, and you go and you practice it. Uh, And then for, uh, as you mentioned, Stephen, evangelism. Uh, In programs like this around the world, the the moment you show up, believer or unbeliever, and you hear this story, you become someone who has access to the good news that God has come and that he has visited us and that he is with us and that his word has the power to move us from our brokenness into a new state. And uh, programs like this produce tellers of good news. And when you have hundreds who are meeting with thousands, you have tens of thousands of storytellers Because if they're doing their job, telling their stories every day, villages get transformed by new stories. And so whether the village is in West Africa or East Africa, whether it's in South Asia or in East Asia, or whether it's right here, uh, strategies that employ this kind of methodology are being implemented in the body of Christ around the world. And people who don't have access to the Bible. We have it, and using strategies like this, in in my experience uh, with the studies uh, that I've been honored to be a part of, it just accelerates people. the, The ease of being around a Bible scholar who tells the story and then wants others to tell the story. Instead of being uh, what sometimes I think we would expect somebody with a PhD to be able to deliver and deliver and deliver more info, instead shares the space for people to be able to do this together, care for one another and hold one another accountable, do this with one another, retell and retell until we all have it, and then to be able to go and and, uh, practice together and to be able to have a vision for what God could do in our communities. Mm. Let's uh, take some time for uh, 
debrief, and uh, if you've got questions, fire away. We've got maybe six, seven minutes together. So you don't spend a lot of time like saying, okay, we're going, we're going to tell a story from this book in the Bible or anything like that. You just tell a story, yes? I mean, it I depends mean, on there... the group you're working with. Right. You know, um, and, the, and the set of stories you're going through. Right. Um, you don't want people to, like, look them up or can't... No, we absolutely do. You want Storying to... okay. at its best pushes people further into Dude, God's Word, word right? I love it when people if they have go, access to it. If they have access. Yeah, if they have yeah. access. I love it when people go and 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 after after not while I'm telling a story. Right, right, right. I don't let people do it while I'm telling a story. Yeah. But I because I want them to really engage with the story, right? right? Yeah. And when you're doing this, you're not engaged with the story. Right, right. But I love it for people to go home or later they just go oh, yeah. they want more. Bible didn't say that and oh my goodness, it's right there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then then they go deeper into it. That's sure. Yeah, so it just depends on the group you're working gotcha. with. And so in that case, when it's a group that does have access to Scripture, yeah. I do want to tell them, yeah. this is where this story came gotcha. from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, That's a great question. Next. So if I were to help coach small group leaders how to do this uh-huh. in their own groups, do they... I guess, how do you even begin that? Do they need to do it with me first? Do we just pick whatever stories we think? I think are most. Yeah. I don't know. I like it. No, keep going. I just pick whatever feels most pertinent to me to walk them through. Um, I'm just trying to think. Like, is I don't know. Is are there stories that we just choose, do we just choose that on our own and kind of work through that? Do they just choose it on their own and kind of work through that? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, how would you respond to that? I think well, he and I would have different responses, but both for good reasons. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, you really need to think about who, who who you're meeting with, why you're meeting, what what what's the itch you're trying to scratch, right? Um, it could be just you know they're new believers and they need to understand some initial things, or it could be that you're really trying to focus in some particular issue, right? Or it could be that you just want to go through one book of the Bible. There, so you have to choose that. So. You, you have to really focus on your group. What, why are you meeting in the first place, right? Um, the ideal would be for them, for you to be able to work with them to choose the stories, right? Um, but that presupposes that they understand enough of the Bible and they know enough of the Bible to choose the stories, right? It also presupposes that they uh, want to choose their own stories, uh, so there are story sets out there, that, and you could email me, and I, th- then I'll ask my wife to email you back, <laughs> um, with, with all sorts of story sets that you could get ideas from. But then you really want to work with your group hmm. to, to craft. We call it crafting, because you're not translating a story, right? You're not translating every word in Scripture into a story, Um, but you're not creating something new. So like an artisan crafts from things that are already existing but but assembles it together, right? So crafting these stories in a way that really focuses on your audience. So, so yeah, so it depends on where your group is starting, what's the purpose of of you meeting together, who are they, Um, you know, how much Bible do they know, you know, and, uh, and then... 
So what is that determines sort of the theme that needs to go through your story set. How many stories can you choose? I I would like a hundred, but often you're limited on the number of times that you can meet together. So all those things come into play. And there are lots of people who can help you with that. You can, uh, where are you? Uh, what church? Yeah, just what city, what graphic. church? Uh, yeah. So I'm the discipleship director uh, at a church in Pittsburgh. Okay. In Pittsburgh, okay. Um, because there are people here. I mean, uh, we've got storing expert in the back of the room uh, yes. already back here. Uh, there, there, there are people. She's who been can waiting on us to say that. Yeah, yeah she has been. Um, I think I was there for Leanne's first public Bible storytelling. Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. Yes. It was amazing. All right, so Stephen stole my uh, yeah. answer. Okay, but, but, but wait, 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 just oh, you're still not done. I'm still not okay. Done. Keep going. No, just to say, email us and we can either we can send you a bunch of story sets and you can choose from that, but. We would prefer to just sort of help you think through mm-hmm. what are those things and how you can develop it together. And we're happy to do that. Yeah, yeah and I, I do think that the, the categories he really did steal. He knew I was going to try to differ from him, and so he just thought, well, I'll just do Covered exactly it all. what Mark would do. Buddy. And uh, have enough caveats where there's no other space for Mark. Uh, so I do think the listening component, <coughs> and you know... Uh, I, I think you mentioned uh, ladies' groups for now, or all kinds of groups. Oh no, all okay. groups. Okay. So, well, I don't. I'm just asking how would I do this with small groups? Yeah, yeah. So small groups in general, um, the the people who are facilitating them, uh, some groups in in my experience, uh, some groups just want to be told. These this is where we're going this semester. Uh, Sixteen stories from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, so, and uh, in, in programs that, that we work with, the partners we have around the world, uh, we've got groups that say, uh, just tell us the best ones. And we say, okay, so we've got lots of lists, but we prefer that we sit down together and just make sure, because there, there may be some special needs that right now in your community, so in, in your groups, you may have uh, gatherings that uh, they just know uh, what they need. And you have some gatherings that have no idea what they need. And so Stephen's going to write down our emails together and uh, we'll and, help you. And anyway if you can. just can't handle listening to us anymore, we actually have documents to tell you how to do this if you wanted to just do it. Too. So. Thank you. Good question. Next, we've got like three minutes. Not a question, but just to go on hers. <clears throat> this year, we're doing, in our life group, we're following up on the, after, the week after the, the sermon. We go over yeah. part of the sermon just mm-hmm. to, to double down on the knowledge and, and what people can learn from it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And, and once you start cycling through this practice and people start getting better and better at telling the stories... Uh, they're like Stephen's story today. I, how long did that last? Much longer than probably most people were comfortable with. Yeah. So uh, Stephen uh, has been doing this for some time, and so telling a longer story. In the first session a few hours ago, I told the story of Joseph, and it took a while. Uh, I work with a people group in East Africa. 
that when we were discussing this many, many years ago, over a decade ago now, and we got to the story of Joseph, there was so much pain in the community and so much need for them to have hope and vision for God delivering them through suffering. They just decided they wanted to tell the whole story, and it was totally normal. And when I thought, when I thought they meant whole story, like long, like 10 minutes, 12 minutes, 15 minutes, they were like, no, no, like the whole story. And it was uh, 45 minutes, maybe. And, uh, but when this is your life, then you can walk. Does that make it harder to do the retail? <laughs> uh, well, it, uh, you have to have fire, you have to have more firewood, gotcha. and uh, you've got to have stomachs that don't need refeeding every two hours. Gotcha. And we are in a people group that are gotcha. normal yeah. with both of those. So, gotcha. yeah, so it does make the retelling much much longer, but also their recall is much much higher. We have to really really work just to remember your name. Why is that? Because we're not listening. Because some of you didn't do this. You did this strange thing. You had to, you know. Yeah. Um, because, you. yeah, the main session starts again at 4.30. Let's make sure everyone has time. So if you have any more questions, you want to talk, we're going to be here. And the rest of you, please leave. <laughs> That's it for today's episode. Make sure to check out the Kingdom Unleashed ebook sample that we mentioned at the top of this episode by going to discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for The Kingdom Unleashed. Thanks for listening. Until next time.